All right. I am so excited for this special episode of Real Estate Fight Club. We are live today also, but we're actually also recording for a What Would You Do episode about when sellers lie on disclosures. And I have here with me today, Rachel Real of Rachel Real Real Estate in Illinois. Hey, Rachel. Morning, Jen. Morning. And we have a special guest, Rachel. It is yes. Heather Parker. She's an Illinois real estate attorney with Rosenberg and Parker. Hi, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm, we are so excited that you um, decided and could be on with us today because we have a lot of questions. <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> I'll do my best. Let's, let, let's do it. So the biggest question and stuff that me and Rachel talk about all the time is the property disclosures, right? So what, I guess like the best place to start is what do we, there's so many questions, but start with like, what do we do? Like, what do the sellers, what are they obligated to disclose and, and what, like walk us through the process? Correct. Yes. So the property disclosures are um, a document and a statutory requirement in most, if not all states. And in Illinois, it's a form document with a couple additions that have been added over the years that walks mm -hmm. through a lot of representations about the real estate. Um, and Allegedly, dot, dot, dot. Yes. The seller's obligated to complete those to the best of their actual knowledge of material defects in the different areas, such as the foundation, walls, windows, mechanicals, et cetera, as they're all enumerated. In different so stories. can we pause for a second? So you have actual, actual knowledge and you have material defects. Can right. you dive into both of those quickly? Absolutely. So an actual knowledge is something the seller actually knows in plain language. I um, mean, like knows or like thinks or like. Right. It's a, it's. <laughs> It's the question we all have, right? Yeah. So actual knowledge, this comes up a lot, especially when th they know that um, there might be mold in the attic, but they haven't gone up there, right? Right. <laughs> do they have to go up there and look and inspect it before? No. In Illinois, no, they don't have to. They don't have to investigate. They don't have to find out for sure. Um, if they don't know that, if they haven't seen the water coming in the basement and seen their belongings being wet in the basement, they don't have actual knowledge of that leaking okay. effect. Um, so that's one area of a lot of interpretation, right? That a lot of real estate. A agents. lot. Exactly. What's the difference between a material defect and what's the other one? Um, like a, a material defect. Yeah. Like what's a material defect? Like something you yeah. can't see, right? Necessarily. A material defect is actually something that materially affects the health and safety of the occupants of the home or okay. something that have a material effect on the real estate value. So is a broken window thermal seal on three of the windows a material defect on a $500,000 home? Likely not as, or, you know, or maybe it is. That's something we never want right. to be in the judge arguing it. Um, right. So there's a lot of, you can get into the weeds with it, you know, is a, is a $5,000 problem material for a $150,000 home, but not for a $700,000 home. Um, right. That's part of the analysis, but it's something that would adversely affect the real estate value. Well, you know what, how Rachel does, and I how did. That, a, how does that oh, differ sorry. from a? Sorry, how does that differ from a latent defect? Yeah, that was another there word. a difference. Would be something that um, is just existing in there that not necessarily is known to someone, um, and that doesn't. The, the term latent defect doesn't refer to. Um, 
its effect on the value necessarily or its severity. Okay. Okay. And there's so, uh, no obligation from a seller's perspective or an agent's perspective, at least in the state of Illinois, to be required to discover those latent defects, correct? Not at all. No. Okay. Well, and Rachel and I did a, what would you do, um, podcast on, there was like a bus stop that was at the front of the house when the buyers looked, but then like, by the time they closed, the bus stop got moved like a few blocks and it's like, okay, it's not only about the house, but it could potentially, but for this buyer that made a huge difference that made them not, that that was a disabled, right. That was a disabled buyer whose, whose purchase was very much based on public transportation and the accessibility from the property. Absolutely. And it was definitely material to that buyer's decision to buy the home, whether it materially affected the real estate value as a whole, that would be something that would have to be decided by the courts, unfortunately. Um, Did the the multiple interpretations, right? Right. Hence the, hence the, the, uh, everything's up for interpretation in, in these types of things. Absolutely. In my community right now, they're redistricting some of the schools. Mm-hmm. And so a bunch of the neighborhoods are up in arms about some of the proposals. None are final. They're completely in conceptual frameworks right now. Does a buyer right. on my street need to disclose that they might not be going to the high school across the street next year? Wow. I don't know the answer to that necessarily. It's public knowledge. Um, right. But would that materially affect the real estate? Absolutely. 100%. I would argue Depending absolutely. On the school. Right. Yeah. 100%. Right. And it's not on the list of things to, that, you know, you have to no. really disclose. Right, right. What about, let's say, like in Ohio, and I think, uh, I don't think it happens on the Kentucky disclosures, but in Ohio, it says like it'll ask about disclosures of stuff that happened within the last like five to seven years. So, like, let's say if something happened maybe outside of that time frame and the seller like believes it to be fixed, but like maybe once the buyer moves, like it's not fixed or like some, some, situations like that like the seller thinks it's fixed what happens I think we see that I think we see that a lot yeah frankly we see that a lot yes and in in Illinois our statute the actual law says that if the seller reasonably believes the thing has been corrected they don't have to disclose it's kind of a straight slam dunk right your roof had a leak and you had the complete roof replaced it three years ago since then, obviously, you wouldn't disclose, disclose a roof leak. That doesn't exist anymore. That's a right. cut and dry example. Right. But you have 10 basement leaking cracks in your basement, and you just go down there yourself and throw some super glue in there. Um, is that a reasonable belief that it's been corrected? <laughs> I mean, I, I would argue no, right? Have you not seen the <laughs> right. commercials for that glue that like holds the boat together when you're in the ocean? Right. On, so, and, and what and what we think is a reasonable expectation of, of fixing a problem is definitely not does not run along the same lines as what a seller feels like is a you know is an adequate uh, correction of a problem. Absolutely, and there's some case law in, in the statute here in Illinois that says that if the seller relies on a government authority, an inspector, um, a general contractor, structural engineer, that if you rely on a professional and it's an error, right? You have somebody out and they say yeah. that there's a structural problem, but it's a true inadvertent mistake, then that was a reasonable belief that it was right. not something you would right. have to disclose. Um, you know, I would argue if somebody had a concern about that to just share that you had that concern, you had it looked at, and this is what the professional said. Obviously, right. as a real estate professional, that'd be the best way to go so that you, you avoid those questions later. Um, Absolutely. 
What is your advice to sellers on, because I don't know about you, Rachel, but I have um, worked with some sellers that are like, they want to disclose like if, I mean, just things that are like insane, like if the toilet paper holder is loose or like, whereas others are like, what foundation crack? What do you mean? You know what I mean? So like, what is your advice to us as agents to like help guide our sellers? Correct. We've all encountered the nervous seller that literally wants to disclose, like you said, the loose toilet paper holder um, or, you know, something that happened 20 years ago that has been long, <laughs> never recurred. And then there's the that's more team Rachel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a huge structural concern and covers it up with a bookshelf in that area. Right. Yeah. Um, right. All it. we can do is give advice. My advice always is um, with regard uh, with regard to what I would consider a material defect. And I would have that conversation with the client. I don't think the real estate value is going to be materially affected by whether that door latches properly um, or something like that. Nor do I think it's gonna be affected by something that you already fixed five years ago. Um, But that if it is something that is recurring or it is something that would affect the value of the property or honestly that you think we even need to have a conversation about the legal advice is to disclose it. Obviously you don't want to have the risk. My, my job is to mitigate the risk for my right. client. So my advice would be to disclose, but they're always having to balance, balance the risk of over disclosing, not getting any buyers in, not getting any offers on the right. property because they've disclosed these minute details that never would even be considered a disclosure issue. I wonder though, like, let's say that there was a foundation issue like 30 years ago. And it's like, it's been fixed. There's been no issues. You can't even really like see it anymore. Do you think that warrants a disclosure? Under our, under our statute here in Illinois, no. I mean, again, I guess it would come down to whether the fix was reasonable. If right. it was just something that they ignored and it kind of went away. <laughs> <laughs> the foundation <laughs> issues never go away, Heather. <laughs> They had a contractor. It just might stop moving for a little bit. Yeah, they regraded and an engineer redid it, and the city approved the inspection and everything for it. Then, to me, that would not even be within the scope of a disclosure issue anymore. Have you ever seen a seller over disclose where it came back and bit them in the butt? We would probably like that, see that, that, like that engineer, you know, that engineer type seller who just wants it, it, slash nervous right. seller who wants to really disclose everything. You ever seen that come back and right. kind of I've seen the other side more often. And I think yes, with when I come into the transaction, because yeah. I don't get involved right. until they're under contract, but I do have clients right. call me. Um, sometimes listing agents will have me talk to sellers before they list because they are concerned right. about disclosing. And right. I, if it would you know, bite them later, it's because they wouldn't be getting any offers or they right. Right. So we would probably see that more. Right. Or they're making it, they're maybe making a buyer a little bit nervous by the fact that they've over disclosed or disclosed all kinds of minute things that really didn't have a value on the property. Yeah. Right. It sounds like the advice is, is like, okay, if, if you were taken to court, could you reasonably defend yourself and say that this was not a material defect in the property and, or here was, would 99 out of a hundred people like look at your evidence that it was like fixed and agree that it seems like it should have been fixed according to your common knowledge of the issue. Correct. Exactly. Was it a material defect? 
did you have actual knowledge? Did you even know that it yeah. existed? And did you reasonably think that it was corrected? So there's there's a lot more defenses to it. And there's right. a lot of right. Um, so I definitely advise my clients, the risk is that the, the more immediate risk and that happens more often is not disclosing something, even a prior insurance claim, for example, that the buyer right. discovers along the way, midway through the transaction. It's, it's more to me about the, the, the transaction itself at the beginning, because a buyer discovers there was a huge water claim in the basement. But in our, in Ohio, and I believe, and in Kentucky, and I don't know about Illinois, but the clue report is the insurance claims report. And for us, that's a separate issue from the property disclosures. Is it the same in Illinois? Yes. The clue report is something that some people pull. It's not a commonly pulled. It's not commonly pulled here either. But when you go to get insurance and you find out that it's like sky high because of the property, not because you as a borrower, that's. Insurance claims are not part of our disclosures or the contract here. Maybe they should be. Rachel, add it to your list. I know you're on a well, war path. Added to you know, our, our contract does have a does have the stipulation of the paragraph in it that says if the buyer goes to get homeowners insurance and it's outside of standard market rates or standard appropriate rates, then the buyer has the ability to cancel that contract. So have you ever seen that happen, Heather, with a with a yes. with a particular buyer? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and most buyers attorneys here include that in their attorney review letter. Yes. Attorney review period. So it's one of our standard requests to disclose any insurance right. claims in the last five years. For us, it's to discover things like that, like mm-hmm. our right. the basement, for example, but it's also to discover whether um, there was a huge claim for the roof that paid out 14 grand two years ago, but the roof wasn't replaced. So exactly the buyer's exactly. ability to get a new roof and mm-hmm. also show that the seller was aware or at least alleged a material defect in the roof. Right. Right. Selling the claim. <laughs> Those right. slippery right. sellers. Well, let's, let's take a pause. I want to talk about two of our partners. And then we, when we come back, I want to talk about like, so what actually happens? Like what are the trouble people are getting in or if at all? Okay. So um, the two partners I want to mention today, the first one is Real Support Solutions. This is a partnership with, um, they do administrative, so they can do your transaction coordination, any admin help, they do training. And if you go to realsupportsolutions.com, you enter code Fight Club, you'll receive three hours of free training or $100 off your first transaction. And then I also want to talk about Ghost Poster, which is Monica's um, company, where she helps with social media posting. So you can she sends you a social media post every day and you can put it up so you can start getting clients off your social media. So you would go to mycoachmonica.com and enter Fight Club to get $50 off. So, all right, Heather. So if you, what, what have you seen? Like, how do people get in trouble for this? Have you seen the realtor get in trouble too, is what I want to know. So what, what, yeah, what happens when that seller who thought they or thought they were pulling a fast one on the buyer mm-hmm. by not doing anything with their roof only to find that the roof caves in after the buyer moves in and the buyer then finds the receipt for the proposal for the roof repair in the bottom of the trash can right outside when they're cleaning it out this that seems very specific Rachel yeah <laughs> yeah that happened a couple of years ago but I mean there's the, there's the specific the, the, the position where the buyer's in a in a the buyers in the position then to know that the seller had actual knowledge. They could prove that they had actual knowledge because that receipt was stuck to the bottom of that trash can. They found it and the, the seller insisted through the entire transaction that they had no issues with their roof. So you now have actual knowledge that the seller had actual knowledge right. and the seller didn't disclose anything. So, so then what? 
the very rare situation when we actually yes. know that the seller knew that there was a problem. That's the problem, right? How do you prove it? Right. We get calls weekly about post-closing. Oh, yeah where people experience flooding the first weekend that they moved in mm-hmm. or sometimes yeah. people call that they experienced flooding nine months later and clearly it rained, you know, in between then. <laughs> right. Um, right. But most of the time, you know, unfortunately, most of the time, which is why sellers do sometimes choose to play fast and loose. Most of the time, it's very difficult to prove that there was actual knowledge or that the, right. the situation existed before the closing things happen for the first time. All what the they time. do Right. Right. Mur- Murphy's law. It's a real pain in the, you yeah. know what? <laughs> so I, I had a, I had a situation, um, a few years ago where the air conditioner broke right after the closing a week or two after, and they called the, um, maintenance company who had a sticker on the unit mm-hmm. and they said, Oh, well, we were just here six months ago. And we told them that this, they needed a new unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a clear case. Like that's something where, you know, yes. there's clear liability on the basis of the seller and most attorneys, you know, we send a demand letter over would say, Hey, you know, pay for this new AC. So they don't sue you for attorney's fees and everything else. Um, that's extremely, extremely rare. Um, it's extremely rare that there is evidence of the seller's actual knowledge. Um, so it's hard. And when we're representing buyers, it's something to do, you know, to make sure that we trust the inspectors that are going in. Um, there's a lot of different avenues for a buyer to explore, whether there's liability under the disclosures, under um, contract law in general, because all of our contracts actually have representations about the real estate in it, separate and apart from the disclosures. So that's a typically a longer statute of limitations for people. Mm-hmm. Um, or inspector liability, you know, to go back to the inspector and say, why didn't you miss this? Unfortunately, the inspector's contracts typically are lim- limit recovery for yes. the kind of CYA about every single everything. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, so are the realtor, right? Like there have been so many times where a buyer comes back and to me as a listing agent, like, hey, this wasn't disclosed. And it's like, okay, I'm not a party of the contract. Like you need to talk to your attorney. You need to talk to the, you know, your realtor and see what they can do. But like you said, it's like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. The inspector, I can see they're supposed to find stuff, but they're also not perfect, right? Like they don't, I mean, they're general. They can't see behind a wall. They can't see right. behind a wall. They're not allowed to take paneling down in a basement. As much as we'd all love to see what's behind the paneling, they're not allowed to do that. Right. So their, their inspection is limited in scope to what they can visually see and not what's behind a wall. It's limited. And we've all seen, you know, three different reports because of homes that go on <laughs> yeah. that are completely, yes. vastly different which I don't want to go off on a tangent, but a comment, a conversation I have very frequently with my seller clients after a deal cancels after inspection is are, are the things that the inspector suspected during the inspection that freaked out the buyer? Are those now disclosure issues for you? Yeah. That's a huge question. Question they raise now a disclosure obligation for you. Right. It's not an easy answer to be honest. Well, what do you think about, I mean, in the last year and a half, the amount of people waiving inspections is like exponentially greater than my previous 12 years. What are your thoughts on buyers that have no knowledge of homes waiving inspections? Like they're not investors. They're not builders. They, they're not anything. They're just, they're just trying to compete. Right. My thought is they shouldn't. (laughs) Um, you know, it's one of those things like, 
Absolutely. Don't waive inspection. This is the largest investment you'll make. Yeah, sure. Maybe you'll make an agreement to purchase as is, but you should know what you're getting into. And then right. second, Absolutely. as a real estate professional, the attorneys, the agents, everything, we need to advise them to do that. And um, they would never yes. find a house, Heather. I know. They'd be moving in with you. <laughs> so, here in Illinois, it's interesting because, and I don't know if it's because we have attorneys involved from the beginning of every transaction, but right. um, there's a lot of as-is contracts, but we haven't seen, I don't know if you have, Rachel, but there haven't been, it's pretty rare that we have complete inspection waivers. Yeah, I've had a couple, I've, I've had a couple over the past, well, just in, in not necessarily where my client waived them, because I'm always you know, recommending that they don't waive them, but we've lost out on multiple offers to buyers who have been waiving them. Yeah, Absolutely. we have tons of them waived, but it probably yeah. is because we don't have attorneys, you know, pros and cons, Heather, me and Rachel did a, didn't, Rachel, didn't we do one? Oh, no, that was me and Monica. We did a fight club on should you have attorneys or not involved in the transaction, I, I won't send that to you, Heather. You're probably yelling no, at me. I... <laughs> um, well, we really appreciate you being on. I know this podcast could have gone on for like another 10 hours or so, but easy, easy. Do you only practice real, um, real estate law in Illinois or do you practice other states? Just in Illinois. Okay. And if people are um, licensed in Illinois or they have property in Illinois, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Um, you can call me at the office. It's 630-320-2068 or email me at heather at rp-legal.com. That's rosenbergparker-legal.com. Awesome. And Rachel, if anybody has a referral for you in Chicago, what is the best way? Chicago. My number is 630-542-8688 or you can find me on Facebook at Rachel Real Estate. Awesome. Ladies, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Heather. Thanks Thank for you. having us.